Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter number 4. While you're turning, do you have in your mind this recollection of going to your mom and asking your mom a question, and then your mom asks you a question in return, what did your father say? Or did you ever go to your dad and say, hey dad, is it okay if I, and then your dad says, well hold on just a minute, what did your mother say? The, the idea is let's, let's ask and get some information from. Do you know God in his wisdom answers questions for us that we think we might have God boxed in some corner. And we say, well, God, if you just considered. And God in his wisdom, in a sense, kind of, kind of removes the argument or or addresses the argument before it can ever come from our mouth. God actually is the one who, who invites the thought and says, okay, here's one of your challenges regarding this matter of your faith and your works. So let's go ahead and let's ask someone that I think you would ask if you had the opportunity to ask. He said, let's ask Abraham. The title of my message today is When Abraham Said Amen. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 4. Let's start in verse number 1. Romans chapter 4, verse number 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Okay, what do we learn? What would Abraham say? Verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works... He hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? By the way, that's such a, a beautiful little phrase, an expression that should permeate our thinking. What does the Bible say? We live in a culture today. We live in a world today that, that makes more of what does this mean to me? Sometimes even our Bible studies are, are more about us saying, this is what that verse means to me. But before it can really have right meaning to me, it has to have right meaning from God. So it just says, okay, what does the scripture say? What saith the scripture? Here's what it says. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But... To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Certainly the, the scriptures lay out something for us that, that bring us to ultimately something that we'll address momentarily. And that is this idea of when Abraham said, amen. We're going to look today at, at faith displayed and, and we're going to see that in this passage. And then we're going to see faith's dilemma because there is something that if it's not properly processed, it puts us in, in this terrible dilemma. And then we're going to conclude 
with faith described. We'll spend the majority of our time talking about faith that is really on display. And the Apostle Paul kind of just sets it out there for us to fully evaluate. Faith displayed. Now again, we're going to start in Romans chapter 4. And this chapter at the very beginning, it does so with someone that is used as our example. And the someone obviously is Abraham. And the something that we're about to look at is faith. Now this is the champion of the Jew. I mean, if you ever wanted to have, hey, have you considered? Or have you talked to? Hey, let's use Abraham as our example. And any Jew would want to bring him into the discussion regarding the place of their faith and how it is that a person can actually be righteous. In many ways, Paul is attacking their fortress, their citadel. He is coming to this unassailable patriarch, Abraham. And and who can touch Abraham? And so Paul goes straight for the very thing that most of the Jews wanted to use as their example of a man who was clearly the righteous one. Abraham's the name that would be dropped that you couldn't say anything else about. It was like an end of conversation moment. In fact, in a rather heated conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees, he goes again right towards their argument. Jesus was talking about his father and the works of his father he came to do. And then they said, well, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus so directly says, if, if Abraham were your father, you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing. And then, to, to what we might think, add some insult to injury, Jesus said, you're actually doing the works of your father. Ye are of your father. And then, can you imagine how offensive this would be? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the works, the, the lusts of your father, you will do. Jesus, again, is pulling out the the cover of Abraham from the Jew who said, we are all okay because we are of our father Abraham. One commentary explained it this way. The great majority of the rabbis turned the Abraham story to suit their own beliefs. They held that because he was the only righteous man of his generation, Therefore, he was chosen to be the ancestor of God's special people. The rabbis were so in love with their theory of works that they insisted that it was because of his works that Abraham was chosen. Abraham lived a righteous life like no one else lived and therefore God chose Abraham. And our passage Paul paints a very different picture. He says, Abraham believed God. So what what is he specifically referencing? When he says in our passage in Romans chapter four, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. What exactly is he using? 
Let's today do a little recap on the life of Abraham. Now, obviously, we're going to have to hit highlights. We can't do an in-depth study, but let's take our Bibles and let's turn back to this book of beginnings, to the book of Genesis, and join me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 12, and let's start in verse number one. Genesis 12, verse number one, as we do a little recap in the life of, at this point, the one who's called Abraham. Abram. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, at this point, Abram is about 75 years old. Okay, now that's sneaking up in anybody's estimation. And while there was an extended time of life, this is at the point of life where we might say, Ooh, wow, Abram, if you're going to have kids, you better get busy. And his wife, Sarai. Sarai is about 10 years younger than Abram. So, I mean, she, she is clearly, she's never had children. I mean, no children have come so far. And so if she's never had children and now she's at 65 and God just says, hey, listen, you're going to be the father of this great nation. Well, people might say, whoa, wow. This is some new God we're talking about. This must be some powerful God we're referencing because you don't have any kids, you haven't had any so far, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. Well, well, as time goes on, you know, we get to Genesis chapter 15, and Abram is coming off from, what happens in Genesis 14 is Lot and his families were taken captive by, by four kings that went to fight against five kings. And Abram finds out about it. He arms the servants in his own home. 118 servants against four kings and their armies. And he goes and pursues them and he has a great victory. And he retrieves all that was stolen, all that was lost. And he returns it. And in Genesis 15, now this is a great victory, clearly. But have you ever had kind of the the what did I just do moment after a great victory? Like, wow, something wonderful happened. And now like, whoa, what did I just do? And so God comes along in chapter 15 and he says, fear not. It's the first fear not in scripture. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. I'm going to take care of you. And then Abram jumps into, again, a question for Almighty God. Verse number two in Genesis 15. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? seeing I go childless. This is about 10 years later. So at 75, you're going to be the father of a great nation. 10 years goes by. Listen, some of you, how many of you are under 25? Raise your hand, under 25. Does 10 years sound like a long time to you? I mean, some of you like, wow, college graduation. I mean, some of you are going to graduate and you're like, I can't believe it's here. But some of you, it's like, oh, I'm just finishing my freshman year. Oh, college graduation, that's like years away. How many of you are, how many of you are 50 years of age and older? Raise your hands. Raise them high if you still can. Some of you, all right. How many of you, 10 years goes by like nothing? I mean, 10 years, like, 
uh, oh, we're going to do that in 10 years. Like, oh, yeah, I can, okay. If I'm still here, sounds good, you know. 10 years, 10 years is nothing. But 10 years when you're looking forward to, out of curiosity, who in here is engaged? Who in here is engaged to be married? Oh, lots of folks. Okay. How many of you have an engagement that's set 10 years out? Raise your hand. Okay, if that's you and you're the girl that said yes, come see me afterwards for counseling, okay? <laughs> 10 years engagement? Do you know how long that would be to wait 10 years until we finally say I do? Would 10 years seem like a long time then? 10 years waiting for a child? I mean, you've already waited until you're 75. Uh, Abram, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Wonderful. Sarah, we're going to have kids. Wonderful. 10 years. Lord, what are you going to do? Because I don't have any children. This is the, this is the reality of, of 10 years. I know they can go by quickly, but when you're looking forward to Abram actually references Eleazar in this passage. He says, Eleazar, he's, he's the heir in my house. And the Lord says, no, he's not the heir. In verse number four, God says, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. You're going to have a son. At this point, Abram is old. Notice what God tells Abram to do. Verse number five, Genesis 15. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward the heavens and tell, that word means count the stars. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. He said, hey, come on, come on out here. Abram, I want you to see something. Now we're not talking about a place where there's all kinds of light pollution, okay. Have you ever had one of those settings where you actually look up in the stars? Julie and I were driving one time and we were out in the middle of Utah and it was the, the pitch black of night, no lights, no nothing. And we actually pulled the car off to the side of the road where there were absolutely no cars driving. We pulled the car off to the side of the road, turned off all the lights and just looked up at the stars. It was one of those evenings where the moon was not out and the stars were spectacular. And God brings Abram out on one of those nights. He says, come on, Abram, let's, let's walk out here. And I want you to look up. Okay, start counting. How many can you count, Abram? Start counting. Well, well of course, Abraham's, he's, uh, uh, th this is what your offspring is going to be. This is going to be your heritage. This is going to be the reality of my promise. This. This is a big promise. And big promises can only be made and answered by big gods. You and I have to consider something about faith. The greater the object of our faith, the smaller the obstacle. The greater the object of your faith, the smaller the obstacle. Essentially what we're saying is this, your faith will never be any bigger than your God. So how big is your God? 
Because your faith, by its very substance, it can't exceed the object. So if your God is some diminished God in your mind, your faith will be the same. So our faith in something that is significant, trustworthy, what we consider to be sufficient, then that answers anything that falls below that line, that mark, that standard, okay? My God is this big and my faith then equals the view that I have toward my God. So what kind of God does Abram have to have if he's going to get a child out of this deal? I thought about, and we, we, we won't take time to do it, but I thought about inviting a, a father and a young son to the platform. And if we brought a father to the platform that is in the, the height of his strength, he, he's at that point of, of where, where his body and his mind and, and his abilities are reaching their peak and strength is his. And a child looks at that father and they see only strength. And then we look at a child, a young child who's still coming into his own. A child of four or five years of age who, who has so much before him, but strength at this moment is, is equal to the child. And if we just took one of the chairs that are up here, the chairs are heavy, they're weighty chairs. And if I asked anyone in here and I pointed to the father and I said, do you believe the father can lift the chair? Well, the, the chair is, is beneath his strength. His strength exceeds the challenge. But if we looked at the child whose willingness may be great, whose desire may be present, whose, whose, whose want to try is there, but his ability is not there. And so we look at one and we say, Ooh, let me ask you, is greater faith going to help the child lift the chair? Sometimes we, we trumpet faith. Like you just have to have more faith. No, you have to have mustard seed faith. You just have to have it in the right God. How big is your God? So God makes this promise to Abram. He says, Abram, come on outside and let's, let's take a little lesson in astronomy. And, and what do you see? I see a lot of stars. Start counting them. I could never count the stars. Abram, I believe at this point, couldn't even fully understand what you know. The, the, the universe, the galaxies after galaxies, the, the breadth of this and the stars that fill them. Go ahead and start counting. Here are some basic questions we have to answer. Is God willing to do something about my problem? Not only willing... If he's willing to do something about it, does he have the resources for me to draw upon? Can he actually make good on his promise? And then ultimately, we're asking if God is bigger than the obstacle. When God told Abram, when he was some 85 years old, that he's going to be the father of a great nation, what did he do? If your Bibles are still open to Genesis 15, look down at verse number 6. Genesis 15, look at verse number 6. And this is what the Apostle Paul's referencing in Romans chapter 4. Here the Bible simply says, after he's told, go ahead and start counting the stars. This is going to be yours. And he believed in the Lord. 
And he counted it to him for righteousness. He believed the Lord and the Lord automatically at this moment, God says, okay, I just filled up your bankrupt account with righteousness. How does this happen? He believed the Lord. The the Hebrew word that's used here is the Hebrew word, amen. Amen. There, I read a journal article that, that says it believes that Abram literally said, when, when God said, count the stars, this is going to be your offspring. This is your future. This is my promise to you. That at that moment, Abram, as he's looking at the stars, he just says, amen. Do you know that's really what we do when we whisper or say an amen? We're saying, I believe. This is trustworthy. This is true. I attest to this. So be it. I give my amen. And do you know what Abraham does when he says, God, wow, the stars really? I'm 85. Sarah's never had a child. She's, She's 75. And he, and he says to God, amen. And God says, not because of your actions, not because of what you have done, but because of who I am, Abram, I have counted this to you for righteousness. Did, did they ever stagger? We're, we're gonna touch on this more in, in weeks to come. Did they ever stagger? Let's at least acknowledge it right here. I mean, in this passage, I mean, does, does Abram ever laugh? Because now we're getting further down the road and listen, you're going to have children. And Abram laughs. He says, okay, God, you're going to give me children, right? Well, they, they veered off. They said, let's help God a little bit. Because if we're going to have children, um, Sarai says, let me give you Hagar. And now you can have a child, Abram, you you can have a child with Hagar and let let Hagar. In fact, Abram even says to God, oh, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God says, no, not Ishmael. Sarah is going to have a child. And Abram laughs. And then later, when when Abram is, is 99 years old, Sarah is 89 years old. Sarah, this time next year, Sarah, the the time of life is going to return to her. Sarah is going to have a child. Previously, Abram laughs. Sarah is standing in the door of the tent. She's listening. And and Sarah hears that she's going to have a child. How many of you have ever laughed? Have you ever laughed when you're not supposed to laugh? It's the hardest time to not laugh, isn't it? When you're not supposed to laugh. And sometimes you just go, you know, and, and you know people are looking. You just can't help it. You're just laughing. And Sarah, she's, she's kind of back there and, and she's listening, you know, like a good wife would be doing. You know, she's, she's listening in and, and Sarah's going to have a baby. <laughs> you know, they, she has this cute little, you know, wife laugh. And so she's, you know, <laughs> and, and the Lord says, Sarah, why are you laughing? <clears throat> I'm not laughing. And isn't it great? No, 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 no. You were laughing. Did they stagger? Let me tell you what they didn't stagger at. They didn't stagger at the promise of God. You say, well, what did they stagger at? The means by which the promise would be realized. 
They knew that God was going to make good on his word. And they said, God, now we know you're going to do this, but uh, let's do it this way. This is a good way. And God said, no, that's not the way. I, I don't need your hand at work in my plan. I have a plan and I'm going to work this plan out. Again, we may not always know how God will keep his promises, but we do know that he will. And to this, Abraham said, amen. What is, what is faith's dilemma? Because when we have faith on display, it is a guy who at 99 years of age says, okay, Lord, I believe. What is the dilemma? Paul goes back to this dilemma now and he says, okay, let's talk about the challenge that all of us in our mind are facing. Take your Bible and now look at Romans chapter four, verse number four. Here is the great dilemma that you can never resolve if you force this equation. Now to him that worketh, to him that says, okay, no, 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 I know it's by grace, but I still have to do something. No. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that believeth, oh, to him that just says, like Abraham, amen, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The dilemma, if you will, is when we attempt to add something to faith, it never works, not before salvation, and might I add, not after. Faith never invites anyone or anything to contribute to what it alone can accomplish. We could say that once we try to add our work to the work of God, God stops working. He doesn't need our help, our assistance. My wife is a trained lifeguard. She knows that to save someone from drowning, you don't want their help. You want their trust. In some sense, you can't start helping them until they stop trying to help. Do you know what God oftentimes may be waiting for? For us to stop trying to help. If I am working for my merit with God instead of simply believing that God is able to fully do for me what I cannot do for myself, then God is actually my debtor. He owes me righteousness. Of course, many attempt this unsuccessfully to gain salvation from God. However, there are many of us that are trying this in our daily service for God. It's revealed through the following. How many of you have ever had one of these conversations with God that went something like this? God, I basically have lived all my life for you. I've been a good person who didn't do all the stuff other people were doing. I go to church or I sing in the choir, or I teach Sunday school, I work in the nursery, I serve in his usher. I, I take meals to those in need. I give tithes of all that I possess. <laughs> like the publican of Luke 18. In other words, Lord, I'm the good guy here and I've been working for you all my life. Now you may not say that God owes you salvation. We know that's provided fully by him. But have your good works put God in debt to you? Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. It's not settled by grace, but of debt. To him that worketh actually says, so now I used to think 
To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Like I'm trying to pay off my debt, but that's really not what it's saying. What it's really saying is not a him that worketh is the reward not applied of grace, but now it has to be applied because, oh, wow, I'm in debt to you. Can you imagine almighty God being in debt to me? That God owes me something? That now, well, God, I've, I've lived for you all my life. I mean, I mean I've, I've done what, you're, what I'm supposed to do and, and I'm, I'm obeying you and I'm doing this. And so God, I know salvation's all of you, but God, you owe me something now. Let me ask you, what does God owe you? Lord, I, I mean, aren't you gonna start working? Did the words cancer shock you because you serve God all your life? Or even heavier still, the word terminal? Or the words, I'm so sorry for your loss. Maybe it's something like financial troubles that have taken you by surprise because this shouldn't happen to a child of God. Are the difficulties in your marriage or with your children such that you can't understand how it could be possible because you've been to church all your life and these things don't happen to good Christians. Maybe you're even a bit put out by God because you've been struggling with depression or anxiety and wave upon wave of guilt washes over you because this is not supposed to happen to believers who have lived their lives in strict obedience to the ways of God. In some sense, we're saying, God, you owe me. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, whether that's before salvation or after, but to him that worketh not, but believeth, amen, on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Phillips wrote, under a system of works, everything depends on the sinner. Under grace, everything depends on the Savior. This is the dilemma of faith. It's an all or nothing deal. Do we trust him or not? Paul wraps up this passage with faith described. Paul goes to one of the heroes of the Jews, David. And I think he uses David because David with his own words. Not what someone else said about David or assumed about David. He uses David's own words. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man. Unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Say, well, what's he referencing? I think he's referencing Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit is no guile. How could David be, be this person of no iniquity, of no guile, no deceit, no trickery? Iniquity, he seduced another man's wife. Guile, he calls for her husband off the battlefield, gets him drunk so that he will go home, sleep with his wife so that the sin is covered. No guile, seriously? How can this be? 11 times in chapter four, Paul uses a Greek word that is the Greek word logizomai, logizomai. He uses it all through the chapter. He uses it all through the book. It's a banking term, really. It just means the books have been settled. Why would you pay something when, when it's all settled? 
Why would you try to contribute something when that is absolutely full? It can contain nothing else. Now, something has been placed upon your account and there is nothing that you can add to it. I say this again, not before salvation and not after salvation. My works, if they are done in some way, shape, or form to put some little star on my righteousness page, to add some little addition to my righteousness tank, it becomes something far other than righteous. You know what God did for Abraham. When Abraham said amen, when Abraham believed, God credited Abram's account with righteousness. Now Abraham would go on to demonstrate that righteousness by his works, but he attained that righteousness apart from his works. You know, the the end of Romans, it tells us in verse number 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Are you fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is able to perform? Some of you may be struggling today with an unfulfilled promise. And and it's as if God said to you, here's the promise, and you said, where's the fulfillment? Do you know the biggest promise that God has made to you that he will always make good on is that he will never leave you or forsake you. The biggest promise, big promises from a big God, is that as your days, so shall your strength be. Big promises, my grace is sufficient for you. Are you living today, child of God? Are you living today, don't you love this title, believer? Are you living today with the amen to God's promise? You know, when you trusted Christ, you believed. You said amen. And God credited something to your account. My encouragement for all of us today is don't stop living that way today. Say amen to his promise.